Welcome to AUKUS Amplified from the American Association of Hip and Knee Surgeons, advancing hip and knee patient care through education, advocacy, research, and outreach. Welcome to AUKUS Amplified. My name is Sam Wellman. I work at Duke Hospital of North Carolina. And this edition of our podcast is focusing on the uh, publications aspect of AUKUS. And we have a star panel here today for our discussions. We have the editors-in-chief of both Arthroplasty Today and Journal of Arthroplasty, as well as the social media editors for each one of those journals. Uh, and we're going to talk about what's going on in the two AUKUS journals and future directions. I'm here because I'm the chairman of the Publications Committee for AUKUS, which is essentially the, the liaison between the AUKUS board, which is the AUKUS membership by extension, and then the editorial leadership of each journal. So I'm going to ask, starting with Journal of Arthroplasty, both editors, and then Arthroplasty today to introduce yourselves before we start. Okay, so thank you, Samuel. This is Michael Mont. I'm the editor-in-chief as of this past January, I took over from John Callahan, who did this tremendous job for the previous five years. And I hail from Sinai Hospital in Baltimore. And we have another one of my co-editors. She can introduce herself. Thanks for having me. My name is Jamie Bellamy. I am an arthroplasty surgeon at Womack Army Medical Center, and I'm the social media editor for Journal of Arthroplasty and the social media editor for Arthroplasty Today and took over for Chad Kruger since March or April of this year. Greg? Hi, I'm Greg Galladay. I'm the editor-in-chief of Arthroplasty Today. I took over after a stint of, as a deputy editor for Brian McGrory, who started the journal, had kind of the vision of the value of case reports and also the value of having a AUKUS-owned journal within our bandwidth. And really, he spent the first several years getting this off the ground and then five years of building it to the point where he turned it over to me. And now we have such a great variety of articles from original research and systematic reviews and basic science articles and technique articles and still a focus on case reports, which have, I think, significant value in the educational setting. We have a variety of different other article types that we accept, like viewpoint articles from key opinion leaders and obviously letters to the editor and so forth, white papers, position papers, and really a pretty broad cross-section of articles that are relevant to our readership. And in the last two and a half years since I've been the editor-in-chief, we've seen significant expansion in our submission, significant increase in our breadth and diversity of submissions, both geographically and, and by topic, diversification of our board, just a whole lot of improvements or, or I think advances in, in the journal that I'm very proud of. And I've had great support from the AUKUS leadership and obviously Elsevier and I have to give a shout out to Michael Mott and John Callahan, who have done a great job of transferring articles from JOA before or after review that they think are maybe more appropriate for arthroplasty today. And that's really fueled our growth and our citations and our, our kind of impact. If you look at the 
the podiums and at AUKUS and AOS, you, you're starting to see a lot more citations from uh, Arthroplast today. And I have to thank Jamie Bellamy, who was our first social media editor for kind of getting us on the social media map. And then Anna dived right in and has been doing an amazing job with her virtual abstracts and generating a lot of conversation. She tweets both on the uh, uh, Arthroplasty Today side and also on the personal side with all of her involvements with the Young Arthroplasty Group and a variety of other involvements, women in arthroplasty. And she's really kind of gone from zero to 60 in no time flat in the last couple of years and is now a major force in, in arthroplasty, just really setting a great example. And we were fortunate to have her as a guest lecturer in our department and just humongous kudos to Anna and her her contributions and her growth and development to become a good friend and a great colleague. So thanks to all you folks. Well, thank you, Greg, for calling me a zero. Appreciate that. I am Anna Cohen Rosenblum. I'm a uh, academic total joint surgeon at <laughs> Louisiana State University in New Orleans and also the deputy editor of social media for Arthroplasty Today as of this March. And also, of course, wanted to thank my fearless leader, editor-in-chief for his support. And of course, Jamie Bellamy, who's been such a great mentor during this transition and, and having me start taking over that process. And also thank you for bringing up Young Arthroplastic Group, which I am the chair of right now. I can never resist an opportunity to plug that in whatever forum I'm in. So please join us there too. Yeah, that's a great thing. And it's actually really taken off since it started just a handful of years ago. So I'm too old. I missed it. You could still be on our podcast. <laughs> we'll do another podcast with you. That's your way back into Young Arthroplastic Group. The dinosaur edition. <laughs> Actually, we don't call it dinosaurs. We call them legends. All right. So you'll be a legend. I'll take that. <laughs> so I think we got a little bit of a rundown from Greg. Before we go farther, I do want to hear from Michael sort of a little bit, of, you know, a couple minutes sort of state of the journal on Journal of Arthroplasty, because obviously there have been, you know, if we track Journal of Arthroplasty, you've been involved for literally decades at the upper editorial levels, but if you can give us a quick rundown of sort of how the last 15, 20 years have gone and where we are now. Yeah, so from 20 years ago, let's see, in 1990, when it's not 20 years, that's 30 years. Ouch. Gee, 30 <laughs> years. I've been dealing with this for 30 years. The, the total number, yeah, David Hungerford and Ken Krakow were running this and nobody, it's a little secret, but for one year I ran this because they didn't feel like doing it right after my fellowship in 1989-90. And the total number of submissions were 542. And I remember that number because I did them all. And I thought that was a lot of submissions. <laughs> well, during the COVID crisis year, we had like 27 submissions short of 3,000. So... We're a little less now, but the unbelievable thing is that Greg and I are working in synergy. And as Greg said, we're not doing case reports and small series with JOA. Like if, if you have a series of 10 interesting cases, that's really not, that's really something we get over to Arthroplasty today. And we've been working on that. We just have so many much larger series and, and we're really about getting those published we are publishing more commentaries and we do feel like we represent AUKUS. So we're starting to get commentaries that are coming in 
And all of the, I mean, there's a there's over 20 committees and subcommittees of AUKUS. So we're we're basically expecting one or two reports from all of the committees and subcommittees tell us that they'll be in print what's going on. These are things that are very relevant to everybody in AUKUS. And you'll be hearing about it. You're going to open up your journal. You're going to be seeing all these different interesting things even before you get to the national meeting. We are revamping the whole submission process to make that much easier. There'll be an editorial and the whole process you'll see somewhere September, October. You're going to see a whole new way to do it. We're not going to be proscriptive on how to write the articles. Uh, but there will be some formats that we'd like everybody to follow. And there'll be some ability to be creative in the intro and the discussion. But we're going we're gonna to help everybody. We'll show people how to write articles. We have some really special issues on uh, artificial intelligence and augmented reality that are coming out. In addition to Jamie on our editorial board, we added Audrey Zhao, who's the head of Women's in Arthroplasty who uh, tremendous addition. And we also added Lynn Jones, who is my colleague from Johns Hopkins, who has a PhD. We also will be adding a statistics editor and the proceedings issue. Everybody knows that went great. We're also taking care of the proceedings of the hip and the knee society. Those will be coming out in consecutive issues. And I'm excited about it. Okay, so that's just a little background. There's a lot of other additions we're going to do, and we're just going to make the journal, what I'm trying to say, reflect more of the comings and goings of AUKUS and really represent AUKUS as much as possible and make you want to open up that journal every month and see what's going on with every single topic. But I'm excited having met Jamie and on, on the whole media relations, and I really like hard to talk about. I don't want to steal heart funder. We've some exciting things about adding more uh, media opportunities to everybody that's getting the articles published. And then Anna, I guess you can go after Jamie because it's probably similar types of things. We cannot stick to just the printed word with these journals. We got to move into the present century where we, 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 need, we need to blanket all the different media opportunities. So Jamie, maybe you can take it from here a little bit and describe some of the things that you've been doing or we've been discussing about getting our articles and visual abstracts, videos, and things like that. I think we should start with just kind of the background of how a lot of this started back with Chad Kruger back in 2019. And all great things start in a bar. And he just came up to me and some of our other friends and said, hey, I'm the social media editor for Journal of Arthroplasty. I want to start posting these things called visual abstracts. I had never heard of it before. I have an art background. So, of course, I was interested in, you know, creating these types of things. And it really started out in the general surgery journals. And so they're very simple just PowerPoints with icons and some text that were on them. And so that's how we kind of started back in 2019. And then fast forward to when I started helping out Dr. Galladay with Arthroplasty Today, we decided to use a more professional platform to make our visual abstracts. And that's really taken off 
from that. As far as new things that I've been doing, we have created a social media ambassadors program for Journal of Arthroplasty, where it's more of an official group of people who help create the content. So the visual abstracts, we also do manuscript graphics where basically you just take the main results from the article and post that. Those are very quick to do. And then um, I've also started doing video visual abstracts where you can basically take your visual abstract put it into a PowerPoint and make a video that plays for, you know, 15, 20 seconds. And an even newer video that we're going to start probably this month, hopefully, we would like to start doing videos of authors. Just a 60 second video where um, they tell us their name, where they're from, the title of their article, how they came up with the idea for the article and what's the main take home for it because a lot of people these days are getting on the video platforms like TikTok, Instagram also has video platforms. So I think that's the next thing that people need to start getting on. There's not really any cut type of journals that I've seen on any of the video platforms. So we really hope to be the first ones to, to get that going and um, do that. And, and when I was talking to Jamie, I was sitting there I'm like, okay, well, I'll get, my, I'll get my fellows involved and they'll make these little one-minute videos of my articles and I'll have to make this into a production. But it's not, as Jamie explained to me, it's not a production. You take your cell phone out and you just push, instead of pushing photo, you push video and just start talking and make a one-minute clip. Right. It's as simple as that, Jamie, isn't it? Yeah. And that's the idea. We want to make these as simple as possible for people. I think if you're not used to making videos of yourself, that would probably be the most difficult part. But that's why we want to keep them short as well, because everybody's attention span is you know, so short. I think they'll really do well to do those 60 second videos if we can get people to do it. Jamie, if it, for people who don't know, like, how do they access this? How do they access the videos? Yeah. Like, how is that getting pushed out? Yeah. So there's different video platforms. So right now, Journal of Arthroplasty is on Twitter, which is kind of our main platform that we use. Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. Um, and Instagram has a lot of more applications that you can do on it that we're not really making use of. So that's another reason for the social media ambassadors is to get these people even younger than me that know how to do more on Instagram because I don't know how to do a lot of the stuff on Instagram. So um, you can put videos on Instagram. You can also put videos on TikTok and that's just a video platform. Jamie, I, I, I go to my Facebook. I know maybe that's not cool on this call, but I go to these funny reels and they're getting like 57,000 hits. Yeah, Facebook has reels as well, so we can put it on there too. I mean, we need let's get some funny reels that people want to turn into Arthroplasty and JOA and hear the latest news coming out and then keep starting to reoccur and then we'll get all those hits. That would be interesting. So that's exciting. So, Anna, do you want to talk about, I guess that's consistent with what you've been doing with Arthroplasty today or with, with Greg? Yeah, I've been focusing more on the Twitter side of things. And as Greg mentioned earlier, 
kind of showcasing the alternative types of publications that we have in our journal, uh, separate from the more standard types of research and commentaries that are part of Journal of Arthroplasty. My role, as I see it so far, has been to try and engage the sort of ortho Twitter community in conversation. So some of my most successful or what I'm most proud of in terms of posts that I've done have been those that have taken an ongoing conversation among arthroplasty surgeons on Twitter and adding to that a paper from arthroplasty today about a surgical technique or a case report of a a rare condition that someone's asking about. And then I feel like I'm contributing to the discourse in that way. So that's what I've been focusing on from the arthroplasty today perspective. Yeah, I think what's really interesting is that some of the articles that you've pulled out are from four and five years ago, and some of the older articles will really generate some buzz. You know, people will be back and forth about talking about a controversial topic or how would you handle this? And there's, I think, lots of ways to skin the cat, so to speak. But some of the older articles I found have generated almost a burst of response from people. So I think you've done a really good job at pulling out some of the things from the archives that kind of regenerate some buzz. So really good job with that. And we have, I think if you look at it, there's a group of people who are fairly frequently active on social media, but some of the articles that you highlight in particular, the visual abstracts, I think generate a fair amount of commentary. And we see commentary from kind of all over the world, literally. So the nice thing about social media and the nice thing about being an open access publication is it's really an an access point for anyone anywhere who has, you know, an internet connection or a cellular Wi-Fi connection to pull up stuff on the journal or pull up stuff on their social media and get a conversation started. And I have to believe that the activity that Jamie started and you've continued on social media is part of what has allowed us to get article submissions from literally all over the globe. You know, I think people look at the social media posts and they look at these visual abstracts and they think, well, I want to be part of this conversation. And I think it generates interest from authors so that they can get a wider audience and commentary about the work they're putting out there. So it's just been a huge, huge boost for us. And you know, thanks to both of you for the great work that you've done. Well, and then as another thing to be thankful for is none of this would be possible without the very active and insightful, most of the time, community of surgeons on Twitter, right? So it wouldn't be possible without that engagement. So it's all a one big symbiotic relationship of discussing cases, discussing techniques. And then the authors of the studies themselves have sometimes, you know, retweeted the visual abstracts I make. So it helps them boost engagement for their own studies. So it's all good. What did the kids say? Good vibes only. Good vibes only. Since the two of you are in charge of these sectors, Jamie and Anna, so if somebody listening is is interested and didn't really know about this, but says, hey, I want to get involved, they just contact you or what are the opportunities there? For JOA, we still have some spots available on the social media ambassadors. So we are looking for eager people who are active on social media and who want to help us continue to push the envelope further with more different avenues and platforms to promote the journal. And if you want to get involved in arthroplasty today, we encourage authors of any published studies to 
post about it on social media and start a conversation. So we track monthly analytics and engagement from Arthroplasty Today, and we discuss it at our monthly editorial board meetings to see kind of what's been received well and and what's had the most engagement. And then, you know, me personally running the social media accounts, I can just see how many likes and retweets something gets and how many comments something gets and what kind of discussion and engagement has resulted from that. And as I kind of mentioned previously, I think the the best posts are the ones that really start a conversation and a debate about different surgical techniques or different ways to approach an issue in arthroplasty. And have you noticed, I mean, maybe not even specific numbers, but some sort of trend in engagement? You know, is it in picking up quickly or steady or how does that go? For me, you know, because I've only been in this uh, a few months now, so I, I hope Jamie can add some more insight. It's almost like the ones that you expect will be more popular tend not to be and the things that you don't expect tend to get more engagement. That's been my experience so far. Maybe as I get more experience, I'll be better at predicting. But what I've learned is to just trust my gut as a nerdy arthroplasty surgeon who's like obsessed with talking about joint replacement. And what I find interesting by sort of combing the archives and the current issues of arthroplasty today, maybe someone else will find interesting too. And then sort of strategically tagging other surgeons that may also be interested in those same things. But Jamie, maybe you're more scientific about it than I am. No, I completely agree with Anna on this, that I tried to predict what would do well and what wouldn't. We thought visual abstracts would always have the highest response rate and impressions. But honestly, it's it's the controversial topics. It's in the things where you, you know, tag people and, and get a conversation going and it's the surgical techniques because people love to talk about the way that they do things. And that's what I found, which got the most response. And it's published in the journal Arthroplasty, I think in 2020 or 2021, where we did a study design where we compared just text. It was on Twitter and we compared just text tweets to tweets that had visual abstracts. And what we found was there were higher impressions with the visual abstracts. So it it definitely does help with engagement with the journal. And hopefully what we're hoping for is more clicks to the actual journal page. And so whenever I do, and Anna does the same thing, I try to keep it very brief and it, it leaves questions in people's minds because I want them to click on the link and go to the website with the actual article and read the full article. Well, and you've shown that that's occurred because I think that Chad did a study of where there were visual abstracts or video abstracts. And then, right, just what you said, that the the reads of the article were exponential. They were way more than tenfold and they were in parallel with the Twitter hits. But I don't have the exact numbers. I mean, he's gotten into the well in the ten thousands of hits. I don't want to be quoted on that. We should just get the numbers. And actually, if we can like almost take a break from data and go to anecdote, because we all love that. I mean, again, for the social media editors, <laughs> can you guys sort of tell us about a, a post that you have had experience with recently that sort of either really took off or maybe was interesting for some reason? You know, you thought it wasn't interesting and then it really took off. You both mentioned that these controversial topics are the ones that most are most interesting, get people responding the most. Can you just give us some examples of those or at least one example, maybe? So I actually posted an older article from 2019 
that was a review of post-operative patients with persistent wound drainage, and it included an algorithm for managing that. And that got a, a ton of engagement and discussion going where I, I wasn't necessarily expecting that. I just wanted to kind of throw back and feature one of the older articles. So that, again, goes back to Jamie's point about people love to talk about management and their specific technique for doing things. So I think that was one that I found pretty engaging, unexpectedly so. Yeah, a real practical problem that helps people. Yeah, it's interesting. One of the most downloaded articles, or some of the most downloaded articles and reviewed articles from Arthroplasty today are things like the exact perioperative uh, multimodal pain regimen and exact periarticular injection and some other just very basic things. People want to know the recipe, you know. So it's uh, it's interesting. People do really like the practical advice. And then the controversial topics clearly generate some buzz. So I think you're spot on with those things. And the visual abstracts, you get so much information from a well-done visual abstract, you can basically understand what the entire article is about in about 30 seconds. It's, they're pretty amazing. The really good ones are, are remarkable, and I always pass those on to my team, and we look at these things in our didactic sessions and things like that. It's, it's a great way to just kind of open up a conversation about a topic. And I guess a question for all of you guys, I mean, the social media and the medical publishing landscape, you know, as a whole, they're all changing pretty quickly. And I guess curious to hear from you guys thoughts about five-year, 10-year kind of plans. And I know there'll be leadership changes over those times, but things you think we could do better, things you think we ought to be looking into, things might be sneaking up on us. Start with you, Michael. Well, really, I was looking for all the hits that are going to Twitter and Facebook and Yelp and every single social media opportunity. That's what this world is turning into. They like these snackable bits of information, 15 seconds, 30 seconds, even one minute is sometimes too much. They want to get a message. So that's what we're going to be delivering. They see a message for this wonderful these visual abstracts that Anna and Jamie have been working on, they see a message with a 10-second clip, 20-second clip. They get a little intrigued, and they go to the article. And many of you are even on LinkedIn. You see the same thing. It's this little blip, and somebody shows a little video or a little somebody talking for 10 seconds. That's going to go to the printed word. And we're already here. It's taking over society. And so we have to be responsive to that. And I was joking around a little bit before that we're going to make a requirement that you put a video of your paper when it's accepted. But that's not a total joke. We're going to really push that everybody, by some means, you know, does this type of podcast or a video and introduces the piece of work. And then that work can go to six or seven different platforms. We can take 15 seconds of it. We can take one minute of it. And then these two journals that represent AUKUS are going to be pervasive. And once we start doing that and we get, we're not just going to get links to our orthoplasty surgeons. We're talking about really interesting things to the whole world. I mean, the New York, uh, the New York Times or all the, the major newspapers will pick up these things. I mean, when you're writing articles that, dealing with how to avoid infections and hip and knee replacements. That's reasonably interesting. When you're talking about something, maybe I shouldn't say this, sexual activity 
after total hip or knee replacement. We wrote that article. That was one of the most popular articles of that year. But people are interested in things like that. There are articles on mental health aspects after joint arthroplasty. These aren't just esoteric topics. We're doing over a million arthroplasties a year, people suffering from 30 million people suffering from knee and hip arthritis. They want to read these journals. They want to hear this news and it can be disseminated everywhere, not just to our arthroplasty surgeons, but to all the medical practitioners and the population. I think this is all newsworthy. So that's what I'd like to see. Awesome. Greg, any thoughts? Yeah, I agree. I think the you know, the best thing about the explosion of social media is it provides access to anybody anywhere. So you don't have to have a subscription. You don't have to be at a meeting. You don't have to be at an academic medical center. You can access information and engage in a multi-part kind of conversation that can advance our collective knowledge. The idea is that, you know, all boats float in the high tide and the more we can get information out there and have it scrutinized and commented upon and, and added to and amended, I think, you know, it kind of can make us all better. And it, it's clear that the visual things work well, the video stuff works very well. You know, our surgical technique articles do, do very well in terms of downloads. Another thing on the arthroplasty today side is the, you know, arthroplasty for rare conditions. So a whole subset of papers that are called out and on the journal's front page to say, hey, I'm doing, you know, if you're going to do a case, you have a, a case of a patient who has something that's not all that common. And what do these authors have to say about it? And it's just a nice repository of information. But it's, I think it's the engagement and the, the interaction that really is going to drive things forward. I agree, but I think one thing to remember as we're going into this age where anybody can just put videos out there and put visual abstracts or whatever they want, I think it's our responsibility as journals to reinforce the importance of peer review, right? So we are doing this in the context of peer-reviewed articles that are then disseminated. Personally, I think that's going to be the biggest challenge as more and more information gets out there. How do we distinguish ourselves as a peer-reviewed and, and valuable source of information. Yeah, how do we do that? I mean, that's, I mean, not to get political, but we live in an era of social media misinformation and we don't want that to turn into arthroplasty misinformation. I know you guys are on this, but like, is there a way you could see that being an issue or, or is the forum sort of self-selecting for people, you know, discussing real information? I think as long as we continue the peer review process as we've been doing it, whenever I post something, it comes straight from the abstract, like almost sometimes word for word. So I don't really change too much of what the journal is publishing. All the social media starts with you guys and then the conversation starts, right? It doesn't start with, I mean, until you post, it's not out there, right? So you control what initially goes out. Well, to a certain extent, like sometimes if I see someone post something about an article that is relevant in arthroplasty today, I will respond to that by publicizing that article. But I guess overall, I think that the question I have is how 
as we move forward, are we going to uh, maintain the importance and the relevance of the peer reviewed journal when it's a lot easier to just put your own information out there into the world? Maybe that's not where we want this podcast to go. <laughs> well, well, no, I mean, I, I mean no. if you're talking about future things, this, that's a well, huge, it's a question a huge that, thing that we to don't consider. Need to, we don't need to put this on, but like the whole preprint server thing. I mean, what's to stop you? Like anybody can just make their own visual abstract of their own data that's not published and not peer reviewed, right? So how, yeah, how do we like maintain our relevance? But that's a, a conversation for another day, I guess. Well, that is, Anna, that has been going on for decades where people have their websites, they post whatever they want, and the non-discerning consumer can go and see some strange treatment that cures your knee arthritis in Florida when you hang upside down and you do these strange injections. I've met that guy. <laughs> you can read in every airport journal. I don't know if he still advertises on this treatment that doesn't work, but works for making him a lot of money. <laughs> um, but that's been going on, you know, since time, since uh, time immortal. I mean, if we, we would have been snake oil would have been out there in the 1880s and 1890s to cure everything. So what we represent with these journals are peer-reviewed work. I think that Sam is making a good point that we are putting out to the world peer-reviewed work that is the best scientific evidence, and our journals keep getting better and better for that aspect. So I think, Sam, what you're asking is how do we ensure that things don't take off from there. We, we introduce something that is A plus, but then it could degenerate later well, on. Well, I think, you know, I guess I, the, the whole democratization of this information, which I think has a lot of positives that we've highlighted tonight, you know, once it's out there, then it can take on a life of its own. And, and that may be good in some situations and maybe not good in others. And I think that's something that I would imagine is sort of a future thing to keep an eye on. I certainly have any answers for it. Well, I think one of the things that we've tried to really work on is to make sure that we have transparency and conflict of interest, because I think that's an important element of making sure that the information is not just peer reviewed, but that if there's any implicit or explicit bias in the information that's being presented, then the readers can at least have an idea of what might have influenced the message in the work. And we've really worked hard to do that. And I know Journal of Arts and Biology has done the same. Many of our authors have a variety of conflicts and you almost can't avoid them when it comes to publishing articles related to arts or biology. It's many, many of our articles have authors that have you know, financial conflicts of interest or other conflicts of interest. But I think maintaining transparency there is a key to the quality control of the information that's out there. What we don't have is the same conflict of interest on the social media side. And, you know, maybe that's a direction that we need to, to uh, consider moving forward. So what we're saying that theoretically what get posted on social media might have a bias because we're certainly at this point posting things that we think have the most interest that are going to catch the most eyes or the most readers, but that's a healthy thing to be posting. But at some point, we want to make sure that the discussion groups don't get carried away and perhaps reach the wrong conclusions about the science. All of us are editors, and we're trying to make sure that when the results are reported, 
that the discussion and the conclusions are representative of what this the results are. But that can evolve when you do social media. So we just have to be very cognizant of that in the future. Yeah, I think you're right, Michael. I also think that the conversations on social media have a way of correcting some of that. It's like there's an accountability piece when there's a conversation back and forth. So if you're posting something that maybe misinterprets data or intentionally or otherwise, or has a bias that may be not that apparent, I think that if you look at some of the social media posts, those do get called out. So that's one of the advantages of social media is that it, it adds a level of kind of community accountability to the information that's out there. Sure, you can post anything you want, but if people are paying attention, if people aren't paying attention to what you post, who cares, I suppose, but if they are paying attention, then they'll comment back and say, hey, this has to be taken into the context of the conflicts of interest or this data is being misrepresented. And I think as an, as an editor and as a journal with a peer review process, we try to solve that on the front end, but I think having a community of surgeons and scientists who can comment on the information that's being put out there it just adds a level of accountability to the whole thing. So that's, to me, another advantage of having the information posted on social media and out in the open access realm is it, it just allows a broader conversation and really informal, if you will, post facto peer review. Can't follow that. <laughs> no. That's perfect. Well, I can't said. say anything else. Well, I'd like to thank the two editors-in-chief and the two associate editors for joining us tonight on this podcast. It's Fascinating topic, really important for AUKUS and its membership to have these two high-quality journals run by uh, great people doing great work. And I think the addition of the social media editors to both journals really over the past several years has been a huge step forward in, in pushing the science out in easy-to-access kind of way and getting it out to the world. So thanks so much for joining us tonight. Thank you, Samuel, for moderating and yeah, this is really enjoyable. Thank you, everyone, for the participation. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks a lot for including me. I appreciate it. You know, a big shout out to all the people on this call. We couldn't be where we are with both of the journals. And I know for sure I couldn't be where I am in Arthroplasty today. Couldn't be where it is without the support of, you know, Kenneth and Sam and Jamie and Anna and certainly Michael Mond, who's been a great mentor and supporter of me. So thank you very much. Thank you for joining us for AUKUS Amplified. Visit AUKUS.org to learn more about how members of the American Association of Hip and Knee Surgeons educate, advocate, investigate, and perform humanitarian outreach in the field of hip and knee replacement surgery.